Day, we begin a new series through Paul's letter to the Philippians. And despite the fact that Paul wrote this letter from prison, it is overflowing with joy. As I believe we will see, joy in the midst of suffering is one of the key themes in this letter. And so it's going to be one of the key points of emphasis for us over the next few weeks. But I want to begin with some historical context. Uh, If there If if there's a child in the audience, or a teacher perhaps, who can tell me what major event occurred in 44 B.C. Megan? No? All right. Um, In the year 44 B.C., two Roman senators named Brutus and Cassius led a conspiracy to assassinate Julius Caesar. And the assassination sparked a civil war. But two years later, Brutus and Cassius were defeated in battle by Mark Antony and Octavian. Octavian would then become the emperor of the Roman Empire. Um, But this battle took place in the plains surrounding the city of Philippi. And following his victory, Emperor Octavian honored the city of Philippi by, by making it a Roman colony, meaning that the citizens of Philippi were granted Roman citizenship, which was a very big deal. Octavian also populated Philippi with decorated war veterans. And all this meant that Philippi was thoroughly Roman and deeply indebted to the emperor. Now, about 90 years later, another Roman citizen arrived in Philippi. His name was Paul. And he had traveled to Philippi because his king had also been assassinated, crucified, in fact. Unlike Julius Caesar, though, King Jesus had risen from the grave and ascended to a throne above all thrones. And so Paul had come to Philippi with very good news, very good news. But it was news that would certainly stir the pot for a city full of people who were loyal to the emperor. Whereas Octavian had come to avenge the death of Caesar, Paul had come to proclaim the living lordship of the king of kings. Whereas Octavian had come to offer Roman citizenship to the people of Philippi, Paul had come to offer them citizenship within the kingdom of heaven. And whereas Octavian had come to defeat his enemies in battle, Paul's mission began by meeting with a group of women who had gone down to the river to pray. And we read about that in Acts chapter 16. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia, from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." And thus, the church in Philippi was planted. All Paul had to do was travel to Philippi, find these women, and tell them that the the good news of the gospel, the Messiah you have been praying for, has come. And from there, according to Acts chapter 16, if we were to keep reading, Paul delivered and recruited a possessed slave girl, got arrested for it, sang a hymn in his jail cell, sparked a literal earthquake, 
preached the gospel, and then baptized his prison guard. And so Lydia, a slave girl, and a prison guard were the founding members of the church in Philippi. And their stories reveal that the Philippian church was actually born through joy-filled suffering. And so again, throughout this letter, Paul is calling the Philippian church back to its roots, back to joy, back to joy in the midst of suffering. The Philippians were facing opposition, and they were afflicted, and they were anxious about the future. But this letter from Paul, sent from a prison, was a good and timely reminder that God uses seasons of opposition and affliction and anxiety to do some of his best work. Now, I've never been to prison, but Sojourn Oak Forest was born in the midst of one of those types of seasons. Many of you were with us in the fall of 2020. Our first meetings together were outdoors. There were mask mandates, and, and the government was placing restrictions on the size of public indoor gatherings. And so from, from a worldly perspective, that was not the ideal time to start a new church. Those were not the ideal conditions under which to start a new church. But from the perspective of Paul and the Philippians, and this letter to the Philippians, perhaps it was the perfect time. And I think that's worth remembering um, because no matter what the future holds for our church, our church was born in the midst of a difficult season. And so we can know that difficulty is really just an opportunity for God to continue his good work. Verse 3. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. The word partnership in verse 5 can refer to many different things, but it was the typical Greek word used for a business partnership. We know that the Philippians were funding Paul's missionary efforts. But according to Paul, this, this was not a, a secondary or lesser form of mission. It's not that Paul was doing the real work and the Philippians were just funding the real work. No, the Philippians were full partners, full business partners. They understood that the spread of the gospel was their business, and so they had entered into a partnership with Paul. Look at verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. First of all, Notice that Paul considers his imprisonment to be a grace. Paul is receiving his imprisonment from the hand of God. And this ought to put most of our problems into perspective. But what's more, Paul is implying that he is not the only one in prison. In some sense, the Philippians are imprisoned with Paul. They were partakers of that grace too. And so again, praying and funding from a distance is not a lesser form of mission. Praying and funding from a distance is real gospel work. In the Fellowship of the Ring, not everyone was called to be the ring bearer. Not everyone was called to climb Mount Dune. Doom. Doom. <laughs> 
But every member of the fellowship had a critical part to play. And it fell to each member of the fellowship to play that part faithfully. That's the sort of partnership Paul is talking about. And so Paul is confident in his own affliction. His imprisonment is a grace. It is from the hand of God. He trusts that it will serve a purpose, and then he applies that same logic to the Philippians. Verse 6. I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is a marvelous promise. This is a marvelous promise. The Christians in Philippi had problems. They were facing opposition from the outside, and they were facing conflict from the inside. That's why Paul wrote this letter to begin with. But right off the bat, before he gets into the particulars of everything, Paul reassures them. God has begun a good work in you, and he will complete it. He will perfect it. When you look around at the church and you are overwhelmed or discouraged by the sin and brokenness and division, Paul says, I am sure of this. God is perfecting his church. Everything is not okay. Paul is not instructing the Philippians to pretend that everything is okay. Paul is inviting them to see the sin and brokenness and division and to trust that through it all, God completes what he begins. There will be ups and there will be downs, but in everything, God is moving the church from one degree of glory to another. Keep on hoping. Keep on believing. Keep on loving and serving and repenting and building up the body because God will bring this good work to completion. completion. Until the day of Jesus Christ, God will continue perfecting his church and maturing his body and beautifying his bride. So you keep on hoping. Verse 9. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So Paul opens by giving thanks for the Philippians, making that prayer with joy. And then specifically, he prays that love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment that they may approve what is excellent. We usually think about love in terms of emotion and affections, not knowledge and discernment. But to love Christianly, we must love with knowledge and discernment. This is not to the exclusion of emotion and affection, but our emotions and affections ought to be guided by our knowledge and discernment. Christian love does not approve of everything. Despite what our culture says, indiscriminate love is not love. Loving and approving of everything equally is not a Christian value. Our love should abound with discernment. We are to approve what is excellent, not to approve what is not. So, Much like us, the the Philippians lived in a world in which moral and ethical issues were blurred. It was hard for them to know what was right and to know what to do about it. And so Paul prays for growth in the ability to exercise discernment 
in a world of gray. This type of love, this knowledgeable and discerning type of love is what makes us pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness. Knowledgeable and discerning love is what abounds to the glory and praise of God. So to summarize, Paul begins his letter with thanksgiving and prayer. I said earlier that this letter is largely about joy, and so the manner in which Paul begins this letter is highly instructive for us. He begins with thanksgiving and prayer, and this speaks volumes about the pursuit of joy. If you want joy, if you want to live a life of joy, step one is to give thanks. Step one is to practice gratitude. If you're a cynic, if you're bent towards being critical, if you're constantly focused on what's wrong or what could be better, gratitude is going to be very hard to come by. And that means joy is going to be very hard to come by. Things shouldn't have to be perfect for us to be grateful. After all, Paul was grateful from prison. So let's be, let's be quick to thank God in both the ups and the downs. The most joyful people in the world are the people who receive everything as a gift, as a divine gift. The most joyful people in the world are the people who experience every moment as a reason to be and as an opportunity to be grateful. On the journey to joy, step one is gratitude. And step two is to orient ourselves toward others. Again, Paul is our example here. Even from a prison cell, his prayers are for others. I'm convinced that many of the problems in, in the church, in our church, would disappear almost overnight if we were to genuinely pray for one another. If we could genuinely thank God for one another if we could genuinely consider the needs of others before our own. But I think several things can get in the way of this type of joy. Maybe you're looking for something more exciting than to live everyday life as a member of an imperfect community. Maybe uh, you need that, that constant drip of summer camp spirituality. Or maybe you've reduced the Christian life to just me and Jesus. Maybe you think all the sinners around you are just impediments to your relationship with God. Or maybe you've idealized the Christian community. Maybe you have in your mind what it ought to look like and you resent the community for not living up to your vision. Whatever the, whatever the reason, we need to repent of all that prevents us from experiencing the sort of gospel partnership Paul is describing here. We are not being called to ignore the brokenness. We simply have a hopeful and joy-filled perspective in the midst of the brokenness. God is continuing the good work he has begun. He has not abandoned us. Yes, there is affliction, but affliction is the way of the cross. And the power of the resurrection is greater than any affliction. No matter the season, whether up or down, 
we are rooted in resurrection hope. And so our joy can be evergreen. Here's a quote from St. Cyprian that I think demonstrates this posture pretty well. St. Cyprian. This seems a cheerful world when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Thieves on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds, under all roofs, misery and selfishness. It really is a bad world, an incredibly bad world. Yet in the midst of it, I have found a quiet and holy people. They have discovered a joy which is a thousand times better than any pleasure of this sinful life. They are despised and persecuted, but they care not. They have overcome the world. These people are the Christians, and I am one of them. Again, this quote was from um, St. Cyprian. And in 258 AD, Cyprian was, like Paul, imprisoned for being a Christian. And we actually have the, the transcript from his trial. The transcript from his trial has been preserved. And I want to close, uh, close with it. All right? Roman governor, are you Cyprian? St. Cyprian, I am. Roman governor, the most sacred emperors have commanded you to conform to the Roman rites. St. Cyprian, I refuse. Roman governor, take heed for yourself. St. Cyprian, do as you are bid. In so clear a case, I may not take heed for myself. Roman governor, you have long lived an irreligious life and have drawn together a number of men bound by an unlawful association and professed yourself an open enemy to the gods and the religion of Rome. The emperors have endeavored in vain to bring you back to conformity with their religious observances. Whereas, therefore, you have been apprehended as principal and ringleader in these infamous crimes, you shall be made an example to those whom you have wickedly associated with you. The authority of law shall be ratified in your blood. It is the sentence of this court that Cyprian be executed with the sword. St. Cyprian, thanks be to God. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, you are, you are sovereign over every season, in the ups and the downs, every season. We trust that you are bringing everything to a fitting conclusion. We trust that you will complete what you have begun. Jesus, you endured the cross for the joy set before you. Lead us on the journey to joy. And Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with gratitude and orient our hearts toward others. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.